0: The Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, hey, great to see you guys this morning. Do you want to give a shout out to those watching online? We're glad that you chose to do it today. We're if your neighbor's still talking, just turn to them and just say, shut your mouth, and so, uh, I, um, today we're continuing in our series on the book of Judges, um, and, uh. As we talked about, this is a fascinating book in the Bible. This is not a book of the Bible that you wanna look at every character and do everything they did. It's a bunch of really flawed people doing really flawed things. And we see this pattern where God's people forget him and begin to serve these other gods. Sin never works out great for the long haul. Difficulty comes. The people remember they need God. They cry out to him and he raises up a judge, a deliverer, like a military deliverer. Last couple of weeks, we've seen this story of Gideon, where, where we see that Gideon, by all accounts, is probably the greatest military commander in terms of just winning a battle against overwhelming odds. It's an incredible story. God gives this incredible success. But what I want to talk to you about today, I want to talk to you about how success can actually become dangerous in our lives. How, how whenever we experience success, we, that we, we begin to risk losing other things. And so if you have your Bibles, go over to Judges chapter 8. We could all list names of famous people, whether they're athletes, politicians, music, musicians, actors, successful business people, that the more successful they became, the more their life began to kind of spiral out of control. We could think of famous people like that. Maybe you could think of a friend. That maybe in college, you were in college together and it was a great person who just seemed to have a good heart, trying to do the right things. And then they've experienced some incredible success in their life and they've become a whole different person really less of a good person or maybe even you'd be honest and self-aware enough to see areas of your own life That as you've experienced professional success or success in other areas of your life, that you see that 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 success has come at a cost where you've also lost some things that were important. Thomas Carlyle, Carlyle put it this way. He said, for every 100 men who can stand adversity, there is only one who can withstand prosperity, This idea that that usually difficult times bring out better things in us, and many times incredible success or prosperity can bring out the worst in us. Victor Hugo said it this way, adversity makes men and prosperity makes monsters. I want to talk to you today about four things we risk losing when we experience great Success And so Judges chapter eight, this first part, I'm not gonna read it all because it's a long passage, but here's the big picture. What, what we see in Gideon's life is that when I experience great success, I can begin to lose perspective. So Gideon, we're going to see the Gideon of chapter eight feels like a very different guy than the the previous couple of chapters. So so he experiences this great victory, conquers most of the Midianites. There's still some that are on the loose. There's some leaders that are on the loose. And so um, we see this conversation that Gideon has with with this tribe of Ephraim. It it was this um, very large, powerful, wealthy tribe. These guys are mad that Gideon did not invite them to be a part of the big victory. And so what Gideon does is, is he responds, instead of saying, hey, the reason I didn't is because God had a different plan, what he actually does is he responds with flattery. He's like, hey, you guys are better than me. He, let me tell you what he says. He, he says, uh, he answered him, what have I accomplished compared to you? He said, he said, aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Ebayzer? And so in the ancient world... When a farmer was harvesting crops, he'd leave back 5 or 10% so that poor people could come and glean them to have something to eat. And so, so he says, hey, the gleaning of the grapes, that last little bit, it's really better than all the rest of the grapes, isn't it? He, he responds with flattery. And, and he says, what have I done compared to you? And so he kinda of gets flattery when he receives opposition by people that he is intimidated by, people that are powerful. But then we see these other two groups that are smaller and weaker. And so he's got these 300 guys and he goes into this one group. He says, hey, I'm on the hunt to go and get these two kings. And he says, but my guys are really hungry. Will you give us some food? And then the guys, they respond. They says, well, do you have those guys already? Basically, they're saying, how do we know you're gonna actually win? What, 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 if, what if you don't finish off the Midianites? What if they end up the winners and then we, we ended up helping you? They're going to come get us. They say, they say, well, we're not going to help you. So then what Gideon does is he says, well, then I, if, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go and get those kings. I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to gather up a bunch of thorns and I'm just going to begin to whip you guys with those. He just kind of responds with this just kind of vengeful kind of deal. He goes to the next group and says, hey, can I have some bread? They say the same thing. And, and he says, well, hey, I want you to know I'm gonna go get those, that, those kings. I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna knock down this tower and I'm gonna end up killing a whole bunch of you. See, this is, this is why we don't do all the things that these people do, right? Gideon, this is a book about, you know those, those, those people, people that put out the Bibles in the hotels, the Gideons, you know? I don't think they're thinking about this chapter. Um, it's uh." your grandpa was a Gideon that's cool um and so uh what we see is this and so then he goes and he gets these kings and and he uh, and he brings them back to those two tribes and he uh, and he whips those guys with the thorns he tears down this tower kills a bunch of people and and then he has these kings and he just wants to humiliate them and so he asks his youngest son he says hey I'm gonna have my nine-year-old you're such a wimp my nine-year-old son's about to kill you and and then, uh, but the son kinda can't get the, can't get the courage like most nine year olds, you know? And so, the, and so Gideon ends up killing the guy. It's super weird, it's like a whole different guy than the guy who initially was, was scared and then was really just kinda kept asking God and pressing into God. See, what we see is this, Gideon in the previous chapters, God is at the very center of the story. He's, he's in constant communication with God. He's seeking God's, he's, he's asking for God's direction. He realizes he can't do it without God. But now we see this different Gideon who's lost perspective. Who, the only time he ever even mentions God is, is he kind of almost just kind of uses God's name as a part of his threats or a part of his flattery or a part of his promise of revenge. He, he, there, at no point is he saying, God, what would you, how would you have me respond in this situation? God, what are you up to in this situation? It seems as though he has lost perspective perspective. He flatters the mighty out of fear, even though, even though God has shown him that he doesn't have to fear anybody. And and then he takes advantage of the weak because he knew that he could do it. He forgets God. And see, here's the thing. Oftentimes, the more successful someone becomes, the more perspective they lose. I think there's a couple of things that can happen. One is is when you experience success in any of your life, you can begin to believe the hype, And so there might be an area of your life, you might legitimately be the best carpenter in Reno. You might be the best plumber in Reno, the best attorney in Reno, the best surgeon in Reno. You you might be the absolute best. And so you know you're the best. Other people know you're the best. Reno News and Review has said, you're the best. (laughs) But what a lot of times people do when they're successful in one area of their life, they say, man, I I am a great carpenter. And what they then think is, well, then I must be great at everything and they begin to believe their own hype. The other thing that happens, the more success you experience, the less people that will actually tell you the truth. The higher you elevate in an organization, the less people that will give you real, honest feedback. That's why it's important, no no matter where where you work, what you do, that that you've got people in your life that you could count on that'll give you the real stuff. And so what we see here with Gideon is he has lost perspective. Here's a second thing that can happen when you experience great success, you risk losing your integrity. Um, if you have your Bibles, go over to Judges eight, verse twenty-two. Did we already do that before? Did we already cheer for the Bible? See, first service, I thought that they didn't, and then I asked them to, and then they were like, "We already did." And I just closed in prayer and stopped the service. And, and so, uh, all right, Judges eight. Forget whatever. It's too late now. It's too late. Judges eight twenty-two says, so the Israelites uh, said to Gideon, so he, has the, so, so he has this great victory, and the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, become our king. You, your son, and your grandson. Hey, you're gonna be our king, and you're gonna start a dynasty. Your son's gonna be king, and your grandson's gonna be king, because you've saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, he tells them the right thing. He says, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you too early to clap it's 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 all just talk he's uh and so he says the right thing he gives the sunday school answer you remember like you're in your sunday school as a kid and they ask a question you don't know the answer you're like jesus jesus must be the answer and uh and so he says no i'm not going to be the king god's the king right so here's what he does he's, he's, he says but he does then tax them like he's a king let me show this to you he said, I don't want to be your king. God's the king. I do have one request. Each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. They answered, we'll all be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment and each of them threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chain. So they give, he says, hey, I don't want to be king, but give me your money. He taxes them as if he's the king. See, his words and his actions don't line up. He taxes them like he's the king. He he treats his marriages like a king. Let me show this to you, verse 30. He had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. See, he's, 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 he's having a, m- a bunch of different wives as if he's a king. That was typically common. Of uh, And we see that he also has a mistress on the side, a concubine on the side. This is the sort of thing that kings did in this time. So he taxed them like a king. He treats his marriage like, like a king. And the third thing he does, if that wasn't enough, he names his son, my dad is the king. <laughs> so they say, we want you to be king. He says, no, God's the king. Give me your money, I'm gonna have a bunch of wives like a king, and my son's gonna have the name that means my dad is king. So what we see is is, is in in his success, he lost his integrity where his words and his actions no longer lined up. That's a giant sign. It was when there's a disconnect between my words and my actions. I'm not talking about, we all have blind spots. We all have moments where we blow it. But what we see here with Gideon is we see this pattern where he says, "No, it's, it's all about God, but his actions say it's all about me. There's this pattern of a lack of integrity and we can all think of people that were incredibly successful in one area of their life with the giant integrity gaps. Whether that's Tiger Woods, or Jeff Bezos, or Bill Gates, or or Donald Trump or Bill Clinton by any measure as successful professionally as someone can be. But but giant integrity gaps, as simple as saying that that they'll be faithful to their spouse till death doesn't part. And, and And then they don't live up to that. These giant integrity gaps where our words and our actions don't line up. Incredibly common the more successful we get. Here's the third thing. I can lose my reverence. Let me show you verse 27. My fear of God. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. See, the the ephod was worn by the high priest in the tabernacle. And this was a big part of of the Jewish worship and a part of them discerning God's will. And so the, the, the authorized place of worship at this time was this place called Shiloh. And so, in effect, what 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 Gideon is doing is he is setting up a a a, a competing place of worship right there in his own backyard. And, and so, essentially, what he's saying is this: he's saying, "I want God on my terms, not His." What what he's saying is he's, I want to do this my way. When it comes to my relationship with God, it's going to be my terms, my way, my idea, my place, as opposed to his way and his place and doing it on his terms. Essentially what Gideon seems to be falling into the trap of doing is he's saying, man, I'm a great military leader. I I bet I'd be a great spiritual leader too. I'm good at this one thing. I bet I'm good at this other stuff too. And and so he he sets, what it shows is a complete lack of reverence A complete lack of a fear of God. See, what we can do is we can make our worship mostly about us. And we can make our worship mostly about our feelings. We can make our worship mostly about making much of me and how I feel versus making much of Jesus. What we see here with Gideon is he's lost his sense of reverence. There's no fear of God. He's gotten a little bit too big for his britches. And what the Bible there says is it turns out bad for him, turns out bad for his family, turns out bad for God's people because he's trying to take God on his own terms. I can't help but wonder if Gideon did, did some of this out of convenience. Said, so, "Oh no, man, Shiloh's kind of a long way away. Sure is a hassle having to go there. If it was just right here, right next to my house, it'd be so. You know, someone as powerful and as big as me, pretty much a king. Why should I have to travel?" And, and he kind of makes it about convenience. See, Shiloh wasn't as easy. And, and, and I just want to share my heart just for a couple of minutes. I think whenever our goal with our worship is what's easiest. We we begin to we begin to miss the point. And I love the tool of our online services. I am grateful that it gives us a, a reach nationally and internationally that we didn't have before. That there's, there's people in South Africa, Texas, Arizona, lots of places that we hear from. People that are connecting into some of our digital groups and connecting with Lydia who leads our online ministries. I love that. I love that there's people moving to Reno and they'll literally show up here and they'll say, hey, I've been watching online for the last six months. We knew we were moving here and we've, or, we've, we've already decided to make Life Church our church before they ever get here. I love it when that happens. I love that there's an opportunity for people that are physically sick or, or, or have health risks that they can continue to stay connected. I couldn't be more grateful for that tool. I'm glad that when we travel, we can still stay connected. I was out of town last Sunday. I watched Jericho kill it in the first service. I'm glad that we can stay connected when we're traveling. But here's what I'll say. If most of the time, your priority when it comes to your worship It's how can I make this as easy for myself as possible? Then you're missing the point at least a little bit. Imagine this. Imagine, ladies, it's Valentine's Day. And your husband shows up and he's got this one flower that looks pretty crappy. And he's like, yeah, I bought this. I got this at 7-Eleven while I was getting gas. And you're like, thanks it's the least you could do what you literally mean is that was the least you could do that night doesn't end well for that guy no one wants valentine's day on the couch but that's how it's gonna go out and i think that when we approach our worship saying how can i make this as quick and easy as possible We become like that husband given that $4, dollars Seven Eleven rose on Valentine's Day. What we're we're saying is this is the least I can do, which is the last, which when we do that, what we're doing is we're robbing ourselves, and and really robbing God of of what he's due. And so what we see here with Gideon is he gets successful and he loses his sense of reverence. He begins to want to approach God on his own terms and do it his own way. And here's your fourth point. When I, when I experience success, I risk losing my own family. See, the thing is, as successful as a military leader, Gideon was. He wasn't a great husband. Any, anyone that's got many wives, it's hard enough being a good husband to one wife. You know what I'm saying? He's got many. Anyone that's got 70 kids, I got six. It's hard enough. As great a military leader was, he wasn't a great family guy. And it ends up, Bad for him. What we see here, we're introduced to Judges 9, verse 1. We see Abimelech, whose name means, My dad is the king. That will give your kid a complex if you do that. Son of Gideon, Jeroboam, the same name as Gideon, went to his mother's brothers in Shechem and said to them, and so he goes to his uncles and and, and he says, ask all of this. So this is Gideon's son with his mistress, his concubine. And he said to them and all his mother's clan, ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you to have 70 of Gideon's sons rule over you or just one man? Remember, I'm your flesh and blood. And when the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he's related to us. They gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple and and Bimlic used it to hire reckless scoundrels who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Ophrah and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers. So you thought your kids were behaving poorly this morning. This guy kills all 70 of his brothers, except for one who gets away. And and then we see in the remaining part of that chapter, that one that gets away, spends the rest of his time saying, guys, don't make Abimelech king, it's a terrible idea. Don't make Abimelech king, it's a terrible idea. And, 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 but what we see here is, man, Gideon had this incredible military success, this incredible professional success. But his, his family was a giant mess. So here's the truth. No matter what your professional achievements, your family will be your legacy. No matter what your professional achievements, when, when you are coming near the end of your life, what you're gonna think about is what kind of husband was I? What kind of wife was I? What kind of father was I? What kind of mother was I? What kind of grandparent was I, it, that your family is going to matter so much more to you in those moments than any professional success? And I, I wonder, uh, would, would you be honest of say, you know what, I'm killing it professionally. The business is better than ever. The profits are higher than ever, but, but I'm probably not killing it with my family. My family's losing out. How do we avoid these traps? How do we avoid this trap of losing our perspective or our integrity, our reverence, or our family? Let me share with you just a few quick tips. Here's the first thing. Remember God and allow success to inspire worship. See, God knows our instinct when things are going great is to forget him. Deuteronomy eight verse ten. We saw this part of these verses a few days ago. It says this. It says, "When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He's given you." He says, "Hey, when, when business is going great, don't forget." God he's given you these things be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you otherwise when you eat and are satisfied when you build fine houses so you've got your dream home and you settle down and when your herds and flocks grow large your business is killing it your silver and your gold increase more money in the account than you've ever had he says, and all you have is multiplied. God knows our instinct. He says, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt or who saved you from your sins uh, out of the land of slavery. He says, you may say to yourself, verse 17, he says, so here's the thing, I say all that and some of you are saying, no, I worked for all this. I worked my butt off for all this. and I, 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 got, I got a doctorate to do all of this. I stayed later than everybody else. Our instinct is to say, that's me. That's my stuff because I did all that. That success is because of me. And then then verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. He says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You say, you know what? I I'm smarter than everybody else at the firm. Yeah, who gave you that brain? God did. Man, I, I, these hands, I've worked so hard with these. Who gave you those hands? God did. He says, so here's the thing. When success comes, be careful of, of, of the tendency to forget God and instead allow the success to inspire worship. Allow the success to remind you, man, God's given me all of these abilities and allow the success to inspire worship. Here's second truth. Realize that you need God's help every bit as much to handle success as you needed him in the struggle to get there. See, when you're young and starting out, and you look in your pantry and there's just some beanie-weenies, you know we need God to help us here. But you're eating flame and yawn and drinking fine wine. It's easy to forget. But the truth is this. You need God's help as much to handle success as you needed him in the struggle to get there. And so in those moments of our life, we because here's the truth, with, with success comes a stewardship. Rick Warren talks about the stewardship of influence and the stewardship of affluence, the resources. And, and, and the truth is for success to not destroy you, destroy your soul and your heart, your relationships, you are going to need God's help. And so walking with this awareness of, God, I need you as much now as I did when we first started the company. I need as much now as when I was finishing up grad school. I need you as much now when there was nothing in the bank. I need you to keep me from ruining my life, making mistakes that I'll regret, to keep me from making life all about me, to keep me from becoming a jerk. God, I need you to help me steward the influence you've given me as a leader where I work. God, I need you to help me to steward the resources you've given me. I need your help now as much as I did in the struggle. And here's the third thing, and we're done. Commit to succeeding at the things that matter the most. Great Francis Chan quote that we should probably all get tattooed on our back. If you get this tattooed on your back, Life Church will pay for it. Here it is. I fear that someone's gonna do it. (laughs) We will only pay for it if you get it on your face. All right, so uh, (laughs) our greatest fear, here it is. Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at the things of life that don't really matter. Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter you see what looks like success on the outside may not actually be success. You might have someone in your life, maybe the, your, your supervisor, your boss, the owner of your company, and, and man, they've got the house you wish you had, and they've got the car you wish you had, and they've got the power and the position you wish you had. But, but really, it, it's, it looks like success, but it's not. So here's the thing. What, who cares what your sales numbers look like if you had to compromise your integrity to get there? It looks like success, but it's not success. Who cares what the title on the corner office is if your employees and your customers feel closer to you than your spouse and your kids do? It looks like success, but it's not. Who cares what the bank balance is if you are spiritually bankrupt and far from God? It looks like success, but it's not And here's the truth. And what looks like failure to some from the outside might not actually be failure at all. You might make the decision that that you're done working every day till eight o'clock at night so that you can be home and have dinner with your family most days of the week. And you might make the decision that you're done missing your kids' games on Saturdays, so that you can be at the office. You might make that decision and your bonus might go down and someone else might get that bonus and your path of, of getting promotions might slow down and someone else might get that promotion and on the outside, it might feel like some failure. But I'm not making as much money and I don't feel, I'm not the big hero at work that I was, but, but now I'm a hero at home where I actually have dinner with my family and actually see my kids that are there for my kids. Games to what looks like failure from the outside to some may not actually be failure at all. Final little, final little thought. See, here's the great truth, the great thing about God. See, some of you might be saying, "Hey, this is great. It's a message about success. When's the message about failure coming?" Because I don't feel very successful. Maybe Jerry, maybe Greg will do that in a few weeks. Give him the downer message. Um, <laughs> But here's the great truth. One of my favorite things about God is God is as present with us in moments of great success as he is in moments of great failure. And and, and we need him equally in moments where we feel like a great success and we need him equally in moments of great failure. And he loves us the same. He's, He's the only person in your life whose opinion of you will never change depending on how successful you might be or, or how unsuccessful you, you might be. He loves you equally. And he's the one who gives you the strength and the power to succeed. And he's the one who forgives and brings mercy and grace every single time we mess it up. That's the beauty of our God. Let me pray for you. Maybe for you, maybe one of those things, those risks of things that we lose, that we, the things that we risk losing in moments of success, seasons of success, losing perspective, forgetting that we need God, losing, losing our integrity, where there's just patterns where our words and our actions don't match up, or risk losing our reverence, we just no longer... Approach God with a sense of holy fear and reverence, but we just wanna kind of do our own thing and come to him on our own terms. Maybe you risk losing your family, killing it at work, but losing your spouse and kids. And Maybe there's one of those, maybe two. Maybe even the quietness of your heart, you just confess that to God to say, God, would you help me in this area? Or maybe you'd say, you know what, I find that I'm succeeding in areas that really don't matter as much in the long term through the lens of eternity. But the things that really matter, my faith and my family and my character, I'm not sure I'm succeeding there. And maybe you just confess that to God, say God, would you help me by your spirit, God, to succeed at the things that matter most? The things that are gonna matter in 50 years and 500 years and 1,000 years. God, would you help me to succeed at the things that matter most? And so, Father, we rejoice that you are the source of our strength and that you are the one that gives us the abilities to succeed. And yet also at the moments where we fail, whether we fail small, in areas that don't really matter, or we just fail big, and even in areas that do, that your love never changes, your grace never runs out, and that you love us just the same. So God, we confess our need for you. Whether it's a moment we feel like we're thriving in all the areas, or it's a moment where we can't even think of an area where we think we're thriving. Lord, we just confess our need for you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.